Amen. I'm going to turn your attention to the word of the Lord tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to read, and uh, I'm going to read just a few verses of scripture here, and I'm, I'm going to uh, teach, preach, preach, teach, a little bit of all of it maybe. Uh, but I just have a word I want to share with you from the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 18. And we'll read to verse 22, then we're going to pick up at verse 35, read a, uh, just a few more verses, and then, uh, then we'll sit down. 1 Samuel 20, verse 18, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. When thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself. When the business was in hand, and thou shalt remain by the stone Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. And if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, Go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. Verse 35. It came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow behind him. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. And I want you to notice this. But the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go carry them to the city. I would like to speak to you for just a few moments this evening on the subject, a little lad with a lot of weapons. A little lad with a lot of weapons. Lord, we love you and I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for your spirit above all that is in this place. I pray that you will have your way tonight. Move among us. Let us feel after your spirit and be blessed by the preaching and teaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise and the glory. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. One of the great accounts of Scripture takes place in the life of Jesus, and it's one of the only references we have to his young life. Much of his life was spent um, in obscurity, uh, and the record really picks up when he turns 30 and really does begin to execute his ministry. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we don't really know much outside of his birth. And then his uh, ascension, if you please, not into the heavens, we know about that too, but, but his ascension into his role as Messiah at the age of 30 when he really began to fulfill the scriptures. Uh, 
in their ears and in their, in their seeing. But not much is made between his birth and when he enters into that ministry role, except for this account. And this account takes place when he's about 12 years of age, and he goes with his parents to Jerusalem. And while he's there, uh, the time comes to leave, and they do. They leave, and they leave him. He's left behind. They don't realize that they've left him behind, but, but he has been left behind. When they realize it, you know how it's one of those things Joseph said, I thought he was with you, and Mary says, no, I thought you had him. And uh, then they bicker a little bit, and then they both turn around and they run back. And when they find him, it's also that moment where you're so upset that, that your child wandered off, but you're also so relieved that you found them. You don't know whether to be happy, mad, both, or what. But Mary begins to talk to him like a mom will talk to her 12-year-old son. And she begins to say, what in the world are you thinking? trying to run off and, and, and do your own thing. And, 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 and where they found him was an interesting place. He was in the temple, and he was confounding the lawyers with his questions. He was, he was asking them questions, and they apparently didn't have the answers to his questions. So he was confounding them. And so that's where they found him. And, and so they, they ask him, what are you doing? And then he says something to them that, that it's, it, it makes all the sense in the world why this one account, this one reference to his childhood would emerge out of this very apparent, obscure childhood. We, we don't know much at all about his life between Bethlehem and when he first began his ministry. But we do catch a glimpse here, and it's a question. We, it's, it's a question that, that, that we don't know if it's a question, a rhetorical question, or if it is a, a, a statement that starts with, with a question. But he says, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And, and he's basically saying, don't you understand? I must be about my father's business. Don't you realize that there is business to be done? And I know that the, the plan was to meet at the caravan and get back home at a certain time. But sometimes the plan is interrupted by the business of God. And it's something that we must always be mindful of. That God has a business that he tends to. And he has so graciously, in the abundance of his mercy and wisdom, invited us into his business. Hallelujah. In the, in the, in the abundance of his grace, he has opened his heart and his arms to us to say, come on in. And help me do what I must do. Don't ever feel put out by the business of God. Don't ever feel encumbered by the business of God. 
I, I know that we're human. I know that we have flesh, bl- flesh, blood, and bone, and that we, that we all at times get weary. But, but we are admonished in the word of the Lord, be not weary. Not in well-doing. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. My grandfather tells of how the preaching schedule that he kept as a young man was so arduous along with the many pastoral duties and the travel that he that he engaged in and it was getting to him and and he began to feel a drudgery uh, to do the work of the ministry and in he remembers as he would turn the corner there it, he grew comfortable or grew accustomed to the feeling of 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 the weight that come, came on him, even as the church would, would come into focus visually. It was kind of like he'd take a deep breath and think, okay, here we go. And one day the Lord rebuked him and said, don't ever consider my work to be a drudgery ever again. And he said, it is a joy to do my work. It is a joy to do my business. And so... He said, this is the day I have made rejoice and be glad in it. And he said every time from that moment forward that he had an opportunity to do a work for the Lord, he would simply say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So you've got to recognize that, that yes, it is hard work. Yes, it is involved work. Yes, it is it is business but but oh friend it's the business of our heavenly father and it is a privilege for us to be called into this sacred work it is a blessing for us to be invited into this noble ministry that God has called us to do and so we must never see it as a drudgery but instead we should look for every opportunity we have to do the work of the Lord how many are thankful to be involved in the work of the Lord Hallelujah. And there is no work of God too large, no work of God too small that we should ever feel intimidated or feel like it's useless. Everything we do for God is of great value. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it when you go in Jesus' name. We must be about our Father's business. And I don't mean just on Wednesday night or Sunday, but I'm talking about every day of every week we must be about our Father's business. When you go into the grocery store, you better know you're about your Father's business. Hallelujah. When you walk into the school, you better know you're about your Father's business. When you go into work, you better know you're about your Father's business. And when you are in your living room, you better know you must be about your Father's business. Hallelujah. Don't let the schedule prevent you from being about your father's business. Wist ye not that we must all be about our father's business. And the thing about the father's business is that it doesn't always make sense to us. You have to understand this matter of God's work and God's ministry, God's kingdom. You must understand and never forget that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. That, that, that the work that he's doing is above our mental ability to comprehend. Now, we can think about it. We can 
dwell on it. We can consider it. We can even go so far as to guess at what God is trying to do. But at the end of the day, God will blow your mind with the work that he is doing. At the end of the day, you'll never be able to figure out exactly what God is doing. That's why the Bible said, listen, you can't figure out the ways of the Spirit. Just like you don't know how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, you also don't know the ways of the Spirit. So the writer of Ecclesiastes said, do not regard the cloud. If you regard the cloud, you'll never sow. And if you regard the wind, you will never reap. In other words, if you let natural thinking and logical thoughts inform the way you do ministry, you will never reap a harvest for God. You will never sow into a field for God because you're waiting for the perfect climate and the perfect calendar and the perfect circumstances. And God says, forget all that. It's my work. It's my kingdom. You just do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. In the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thy hand. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Hallelujah. His will is above our will. It's above us. Doesn't matter how smart we are. It's still above us. Doesn't matter how many languages we know. It's still above us. Doesn't matter how many times we've read this Bible. It's still above us. Doesn't matter how many hours a day we pray. It's still above us. Doesn't matter how long we've been in the church. His ways are above our ways. It doesn't matter how much experience we have doing it our way. His way is above our way. And if we ever get caught up thinking that somehow we've got something to teach others about God, we've got to be so careful with that. What a joy it is to handle the word of life. And God help us to handle the word of life skillfully. But we must understand it is His word. And none of us are experts. None of us are experts. None of us are God experts. I remember, I remember talking to the ministry team. Some will remember this several years ago. And um, I was just talking to some of our ministers about how, uh, you know, how services work and how the work of God works. And we were going through several different things. And I just made a passing reference. I said, you know, I can always tell when God's spirit is just going to just move so mightily in a service that there won't even be a need for preaching. And I said, you know how I can always tell? Because God doesn't give me a word to preach. And, 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 and I fret and I fear and I'm thinking, oh my word, Lord, you've got to speak to me. You've got to give me a word. You've got to, I, I need something. And then halfway through the service, I'll realize, oh, you didn't give it to me because we're not going to need it. No. And I just told them, I said, so I can always tell when God's just going to move so deeply, so mightily, that preaching won't even be needed. I had a message ready to preach. We went from that meeting into the service. I had my message all set, all ready, title, text. I was all set. Couldn't wait to get up in the pulpit and preach. Service blew up. Spirit of God moved. I didn't even get to preach. (laughs) Then 30 minutes after I said, I always knew when God was going to do something. And I'll never forget, I, I, I felt the Lord just kind of whisper, oh, you always know. Oh, because you always know. Yeah, that's what you do. You just always know. 
But we, we, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts, they're just so above our thoughts. Always remain humble before God. Always remain contrite before God. Always remain in a teachable posture with God that he can speak to your soul and speak to your heart and clarify your understanding and give you wisdom. Always be in that place because we must be about our Father's business. And sometimes his business doesn't make all a lot of sense to us. Mark chapter 14, I want to read to you. Uh, just a, a quick verse of scripture. The Lord is getting ready for his last supper with his disciples. Mark chapter 14 and verse, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, read from verse number 12. The first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover, Jesus' disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saying to them, Go you into the city. And there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. <laughs> and wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Jesus just starts saying, listen, you go from here and you go there. And, and the directions really were, I mean, it was the equivalent of you go to this intersection and you turn right and you're going to pass a house where a dog's barking and you turn left and then you go down. And, and, and he's giving them directions that just don't make a lot of sense. You're going to go into the city and I want you to look around and you're going to find a man who's bearing a pitcher of water and you just follow him. You just go where he's going, and he's going he's gonna to show up at a house, and you're going to show up at the same house behind him, and you're going to say to the good men of that house, the master saith the, that there's a room in this house that's ready for him. And this man doesn't even know why he's got a room that he's preparing, but the Lord is moving in ways that people can't fully understand. The same thing happened when it came time to go to Jerusalem and tarry for the promise of the Father. He said, go ye and tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And they go to Jerusalem and they tarry there. They, they, they don't even know what to expect, but they're waiting and they're calling on God and they're with one accord, they're in one place, and that's when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. But, but, but the instructions were so simple, they almost seemed difficult. You go there, and you tarry there, and you just wait for the promise of the Father. I mean, th does that mess with your control issues like it messes with my control issues? Like I'm supposed to go there and tarry there and wait? That's, that's what he said. And if you will get into the habit of doing what he said because you trust him and you trust his word. I mean, I'm not kidding you. That sounds like some really poor instructions. I, I'm not joking. That doesn't sound like solid instructions. But, but who am I to tell God? God is birthing his church and he says, 
I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to stay there, and I want you to wait, and something's going to happen. He said Elijah to a widow, and he said, I fed you with the, with the ravens, and I've given you water from the brook, but the brook is dried up. When God dries up the brook you've been leaning on, depending on, it's because he's got something else prepared for you. And he said, I have prepared a widow to feed you. Elijah shows up, and the widow doesn't know God has prepared her. Elijah's coming in saying, did you know that you're going to take care of me? No. Who sent you to my house? I don't have here anything but a little, just a little cruise of oil. And Elijah said, yep, that's, that's what you're going to make me. You're going to make me what you've got left. I've got a, I've got a couple cakes. Yep, you're going to make it for me. God prepared you. You thought he prepared it for you, but you actually, he prepared you to prepare it for me. And these are the instructions of the Lord. His ways are above our ways. And I want you to know that the oil stayed. I want you to know that God provided for her. I want you to know that God prepared. She didn't even know that God was preparing her. She was just going about doing what she knew needed to be done. The whole time being directed of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the way the kingdom of God operates. You, you, you won't even know why you're doing what you're doing until the time comes and it makes all the sense in the world. And you start realizing, oh, that's why God led us to do this. And that's why God led us to do that. And that's why God led us to have this conversation. And God led us to apply for that. And God led us to, to go here and to go there. And all of a sudden it begins to come into form and into shape as the obedience leads you down the path of God's business. Doing his work. So we have a man by the name of David. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the, the, the prophet David, the king David, this young shepherd boy David, the giant slayer, he who has slain his ten thousands, David. But the Bible says that Saul began to have issues with David. And, and, and Saul has problems with him. First Samuel chapter 18, and, and we're going to... Uh, read a couple of uh, verses, verse 6 of 1 Samuel 18. It came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slayed his thousands. And David is 10,000. And Saul was very wroth. They came. It was a compliment to Saul. They were complimenting him. They were saying, we have never felt more secure. You have slain your thousands. And David his 10,000s. We're in good hands. But Saul was very wroth. Listen, when you're not kingdom minded, you will get angry over the silliest of things. If you're not about his kingdom, but instead you're about your own, you will become angry about the silliest of things. Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what 
can he have more but the kingdom? Verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day and forward. From that day on, Saul got his eyes off of the kingdom of God and put them on David the psalmist, a man after God's own heart. What can he have more but the kingdom? He's after my He's after my position. He's after my place. They're talking about him slaying ten thousands and me only slaying thousands. Saul, you're an important part of this. You're an, you're an important part of protecting the nation of Israel from the Philistines. Slay those thousands if it's going to protect the people of God. Don't consider what you do as being small in the kingdom of God. Don't ever consider what you do as being small in the kingdom of God. Everything that you're doing is big in the kingdom of God. You sitting there tonight, right now, is huge in the kingdom of God. You being here, being present, listening to the word of God... In a moment, we'll pray, and you'll pray for somebody. In a moment, you'll leave, and you'll encourage somebody. You've already blessed numbers of people just by walking into this place and being here tonight and being present. You've already blessed numbers of people. That doesn't include the things you do intentionally and deliberately in the way of caring for and loving. You know, I, we say it a lot. A lot. You know, God didn't just call you to warm a pew. And he didn't just call you to warm a pew. We, we, we know that. But, but don't discount warming the pew. Glory to God. Amen. We need, it's cold outside. We need some pew warmers. We need some folks that will walk into the house of God and say, I'm here. I want to hear the word of the Lord. I want to worship with my brother and sister. Amen. Glory to God. I, I'm here. I'm here. We're on the same page. We've come to do a work for the Lord. But Saul could not get over it. He's saying, they're saying I only slayed thousands. And he started eyeing David. Get your eyes off of everybody. Could you just look around? Oh, look, let's look around all over this building right now. Just kind of look around. Now stop looking around. Don't look at other people. Look at the Lord. Don't get your eyes focused on other people. Get your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't get your eyes focused on what somebody is or isn't doing, how they did or didn't treat you, whether or not they're getting the credit or you're getting the credit. Don't worry about all that. Saul, you're going to lose the kingdom. Listen, you don't want to lose the kingdom. The kingdom is precious. Hallelujah. The, the five foolish virgins lost the kingdom. The five wise virgins gained the kingdom want to lose the kingdom you the one talented servant lost the kingdom the five and the two talented servant gained the kingdom you don't want to lose the kingdom get your eyes on what's important get your eyes on what matters it doesn't matter who is singing what about the accomplishments that people have made what matters is the kingdom of God my father's business that's what matters my father's business praise God in any part of this business, I'm going to tell you, you take, one, you take one position out of the assembly line and the whole, the whole assembly breaks down. The assemblage breaks down. And that's what we are in the church. We're an assembly line. And, and, and regardless of, of whether you think you're 
role in that assembly line is significant or not. It, it, it really it matters not. It's, it's vitally important to what God is doing. Listen, I'm going to tell you, every nut and bolt and screw is vitally important to that airplane and to that automobile. Every rod, every little thing, every button, every nozzle, everything that goes into place, don't you discount with a master of the house, with a goodman of the house, with a Lord of glory places you in that assembly line. Saul, slaying your thousands is not bad. You're still slaying the enemy that's trying to destroy God's people. If God has empowered somebody to slay ten thousands, God bless them. What a gift that is. It takes more of the burden off of your shoulder. And all it really means, Saul, is that he's put you and David on the same team. And notice what the Bible says. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. My goodness, I wonder what would happen if they'd put a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. Glory. We're not keeping score. We're not keeping score. Now, some people do keep score. Some people do. Some people like statistics. These women apparently did. Saul has slain his thousands. And David has slain his 10,000. They came out to Saul to sing this to him. They thought he'd be so pleased because they made the mistake of thinking he was kingdom-minded. And he wasn't. He was empire-minded. And he eyed David from that day forward. And he, he began to openly, he began to openly hate David. But David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. The Bible says that that an evil spirit came from God. That, that was normal, actually. God sent an evil spirit to trouble Saul. God sent an evil spirit to trouble Saul. Listen, when there's an issue internally, God will deal with it. And in Saul's case, God sent an evil spirit. And sometimes we'll feel the presence of an evil thing. And we'll go to God and say, God, help me. The enemy's attacking me. And God is saying, I sent it. I'm allowing it. Because I'm dealing with something on the inside of you. And, and I'm going to get that out of there before I give you your little peace you're looking for. God is more interested in us having character and integrity then he is making us feel comfortable in our delusion. You know, when you feel the presence of evil, the first thing you need to do is repent. First thing you need to do is humble yourself before God and turn and say, God, I, maybe you do know. Maybe it's not a hidden fault. We talk about secret faults. Maybe it's not so secret. Maybe you're fully aware of what God is trying to get out of you. So that you can go to heaven. It's for your good. Or maybe you're not aware. Maybe you genuinely don't know. And, and, and you've lived that you've just kind of defaulted to this position of, 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 a, of a hidden fault, secret fault, uh, an error of your character. And, and you don't know what it is. So you say, search me, O God. 
try me. Sometimes, you know, the Bible talks about try my rain. That, that, that's, that's pulling the horse this way. And, and try my reins. Sometimes God will try your reins. Sometimes God will take the reins and just pull you a little this way. And when you get stiff-necked and you jerk this way, it lets you know, it lets God know your, your heart is not submitted to Him. Try my reins. So sometimes God will. God says, Abraham, take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. What is he doing? He's trying his reins. Hallelujah. God will just, God will, listen, God will just tell you to do stuff. Doesn't make sense. Go into the city, look for a man that has a pitcher of water on his head and go follow him. What's he doing? Trying your reins. Go to Jerusalem and tarry there for the, wait for the promise of the Father. They go to Jerusalem, why? He's trying their reins. He said, he said, if there be any wicked way, search me, O God, and try me. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Don't be afraid of it. God will do it. You, God, God, God is better than any CAT scan. He's better than any ultrasound. He's better than any MRI. He'll get down on the inside of you, and he'll search, and he'll show you, here's the wicked way. And I'm going to deliver you from it. He, he, listen, he sent the evil spirit not to destroy Saul, but to help Saul away from it. And so what would happen is David would come in and start strumming the harp, he would start playing before the Lord. Skillfully, he played before the Lord. And as he played, the evil spirit would depart. God was letting Saul know, it's in my presence. You know, it's David who said that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And God, David knew that. That's why David was the one to go in and play before the Lord. Because he knew how to get the evil spirits to scatter. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. David said that too under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And this is what we understand and what David understood. You get into the presence of God and God begins to lift the heavy load off of you. trying to show Saul where his help came from. David knew where the help came from. It's David who said, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. So the evil spirit comes from God and, 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 and rests on Saul. And David is playing with his hand as at other times. And the Bible says there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. David, like, I mean, he's over there playing. I don't know if he's got his eyes closed. Saul was no slacker when it came to warfare. Saul has slain his thousands. He knows how to work with a javelin. And that javelin came flying, and David heard the, the whir of that javelin in flight. And as he did, he pulled his head back just in time. And he avoided out of his presence twice. And he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. <laughs> Hallelujah. And Saul is no longer, Saul is no longer making it terribly secret. Now he's become open with his cabinet members. He's become open with the people closest to him. I want David killed. 
Now, this is what he reasoned. He said, I don't want his blood on my hands. He, listen, the Bible says that he feared David because the Lord was with David. You know, some people have an issue with you because the Lord is with you. Don't, don't retaliate. Don't resort to how they're treating you. Never. Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Love your enemies. Bless them which persecute you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Does it get any just lower down than that? Enemies who persecute you and despitefully, despitefully use you. And Jesus said, love them, bless them, pray for them. Woo! He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. When somebody loves their enemies, blesses those who persecute them, and prays for them which despitefully use them, they are like a city on a hill that cannot be hit. Hallelujah. They stand out in the workplace. How do you forgive them? You don't, even, you don't even know how you forgive them. It's the empowerment of God. It's not, your, it's not your exceptional ability to love. No, no, you are filled with an agape love that comes from God. And so you're able to love and forgive. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, there's no, greater, there's no greater peace that comes on you when you give the forgiveness that God gave you, when you show the love that God showed you. There's no, greater, there's no greater peace that comes on you when you know that your hands are, are free from the blood of all men. You'll be like David. I, won't, I, will, not, I will not take Saul's life while he's in this cave. I, he cut off. You know David cut off the, this, the, the, the corner of Saul's garment, and he felt bad for that. We applaud him. we like, oh, David, look at him. He just sent him a little message. I could have, but I didn't. Look at David, such a Christian. He just sent him a little message. And David knew that the spirit behind that little message was wrong. He knew that that was, that was wrong too, and he repented for that. We applaud him. I'd have done more than that. But not David. David knew the passive aggressiveness was wrong. He knew the snideness was wrong. He knew making the point was wrong. And that he should have just simply avoided it altogether. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm talking about our Father's business. That's why Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Because he's about his Father's business. That's what we're about. We're, we're not about settling scores. We're not about, you know when the Bible says, heap coals of fire upon their head. We love that. The Bible says if you'll be good to those who are not good to you, that you will heap coals of fire upon their head. And, and how many times? Anybody ever heard that term before, heap coals of fire upon their head? It's in the book of Romans, and it talks about heaping coals of fire upon their head. When you treat people with Christian grace and love who don't treat you that way, you heap coals of fire upon their head. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, oh, I'm going to treat them so nice. <laughs> I can't wait to just spread the love of God all over them. They're going to wish they'd, <laughs> they're going to feel so bad, I can't wait. Point completely missed. 
100% missed the point. It's not about making them feel bad. That's not why we love our enemies and bless them which persecute us and pray for them which despitefully use us. It's a sincere thing. It's a sincere thing. When we heap coals of fire upon somebody's head through our kindness and grace to them, th this is what you're doing. Because here's, here it is. There's something in their mind that is causing them to mistreat you. Whether it's an imagination about you, whether it's a, a thought, maybe for Saul, like Saul, a jealousy, an envy. It, it could be something's off. Something's not. I'm not saying they're mentally. Uh, I'm not saying that they are have, have a, a, a mental uh, disability. I'm saying that somewhere their, their spirit is off, their, their mind is off concerning their relationship with you. And so when you walk into that situation and you show them kindness and you show them grace and you show them love, you're heaping coals of fire upon their head. Not to make them feel bad or guilty for what they did. But that coal of fire, it's the same coal of fire that the angel took from the altar, put it upon Isaiah's lips, and his iniquity was purged. You're purging their mind from whatever it was they held against you. So, so if they thought you were a low-down, good-for-nothing, dirty, rotten scoundrel, which, you know, I mean, that's what I repent for every day. God, help me not to be a low-down, good-for-nothing, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I, I, I'm not even worthy to be in his presence, folks. So, so when people think that of me, I just have to say, but by the grace of God. I can't disagree just but by the grace of God. I, I'm only here because God is good, not because I'm good. Any goodness that comes from me is a fruit of the Spirit and not, uh, not an effort of my flesh. And so I can't disagree. People can think whatever they want to think. All I can say is God has been merciful to me. So I won't hold it, I won't hold it against people who, who don't like me or mistreat me. I can't hold that against them because, because I'm not worthy of the love of God. And so I'm going to be able to show them love and mercy because that's all I've got. All I've got is love and mercy. Because that's all God has poured into me. So much love and so much mercy. And so because he's been so merciful to me and so kind to me, that's all I've got to give to anybody. I don't have all these high opinions of myself. I, I don't have those. So I can't put those on people. But I've got love and I've got mercy. Because God has been so loving and so merciful to me. And so when you show somebody love and you show them mercy and you show them grace and you show them kindness, that is like a burning coal. And it goes into their mind and it burns that envy out of their mind. And it begins to, it begins to burn that, that, that thought, that imagination. See, the Bible tells us to cast down imaginations. And that's not just talking about imaginations within your thinking. But God can use you to cast down imaginations that other people have. See, people, people have stereotypes they place on Christianity. And they build up these imaginations. They're hypocrites. They, they are two-faced. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. We act one way at church, another way in the world. And they've got all these stereotypes and all these things that they're going to they're going to force on Christian believers. What if you just walk up into their world and cast that imagination down? And it's 
what it means to be about his father, your father's business. Is I'm gonna I'm gonna walk into this into this situation and I'm going to heap coals of fire, not to make them feel bad, not to make them feel guilty for how they treated me, but to deliver them from the thing that is preventing them from having peace. Now they may still not like you, but that's okay. Eventually they're gonna see the sincerity of your soul. When you love them with no expectation of anything in return, they're going to see the sincerity of your soul. And, 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 and it may not, they may not like you yet, but they'll start respecting. Not you, but the God in you. Praise God. I'm talking about being about your father's business. So, so David is on the run already from Saul, and, and he's confused. He's confused because, because he wants to love Saul. He wants to be in good fellowship with Saul, but Saul is terrible to him. Saul's envious of him. Saul wants to kill him, and Saul said, I don't want his blood on my hands, but I will put him in a position where the Philistines can take him out. Did you know that's exactly what David did with Uriah later? David started acting like the guy he couldn't, he couldn't tolerate because the man was trying to kill him. David started acting like that when he became carnal in his flesh. So, so David is standing there, and, and he realizes, I've got to get out of here, but I don't want to go anywhere. This is my home. These are my people. I want to be in fellowship with them. He, got, he, he was married to Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, and he, he married her because of defeating Goliath. And so this is even his father-in-law. His father-in-law and the king and his mentor and everything. This Saul is Saul is important to David and he's trying to kill him and it's confusing to David. And so David is kind of hanging around, hiding, because javelins are flying every time he comes around. And now he's wondering, should I come back or should I go? And Jonathan, his best friend, did not want him to die. And Jonathan got up in Saul's face and said, You need to leave, you need to leave David alone. Stop, stop what you're doing. And, 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 the, and the conversation grew so fierce between Saul and Jonathan that Saul said, basically called him foolish and confused and said, don't you know that as long as that man lives on the earth, you will never be king? And Jonathan did know that. Jonathan was about the kingdom, not about the empire. There's a difference between the empire and the kingdom. The empire strikes back. The kingdom turns the other cheek. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory. I want to be about the kingdom. I want to be about my father's business. I want to be about my father's business. And so... Jonathan was like, I, I understand that. That's not the point. That's not the issue. It's not about me being king. It's about doing what's right. And so David goes running, and, and, and the Bible says that Jonathan rose up in fierce anger, and Saul thrust a javelin at him. Saul was even after his own son, Jonathan. And Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David and he went to David, and this is what he said. He said, tomorrow is the new moon. When you have stayed three days, you shall go down quickly, come to the place. I will shoot three arrows 
on the side thereof as though I shot at a mark. Nobody's going to know what I'm doing. I'm going to be out there, and anybody that's watching me, they're just going to think that I'm having some target practice. But I'm going to let arrows fly tomorrow. And he said, David, you're going to be aware of it, and I'm going to be aware of it. Jonathan arose up in fierce anger. The Bible says he went out into the field at the time appointed with David. And a little lad went with him. He said unto his lad, run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Where the arrow fell was going to tell David whether he could come back or whether he needed to go. And the message of the arrows was, you need to go. You'll lose your life. And David was able to go. Jonathan cried after the lad, make speed, haste, stay not. Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows. Notice that, he gathered up all these arrows. He came to his master. The lad is just running wherever Jonathan says. Jonathan's shooting an arrow, and the lad goes running to grab the arrow. He shoots another arrow, and the lad runs to grab the other arrow. And Jonathan shoots another arrow, and the lad runs to get that arrow. And the Bible said, but the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan, and I love this part, gave his artillery unto the lad. That was his reward for doing what he was told to do. He gathered up all the weapons of that great warrior, Jonathan, because he was willing to do what he was told to do. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't, he didn't ask questions. The arrows were flying. Go and get it. How many times has the Lord shot an arrow and told you, go get it? And you had no idea why. I don't know why I have to get this arrow. It doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like he just has me running back and forth. I feel like he just has me. I feel like he just has me running for no good reason. Paul said, the writer of Hebrews said, run the race that is set before you. We, we don't run everybody else's race. You don't look over into somebody else's race and start condemning them for, for how well they're running their race. You run the race with patience that is set before us. Laying aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes our race has us going up over mountains that, that, that don't make any sense to us. Have us going down into valleys that don't make any sense to us. Have us, have us going through little nooks and crannies and all sorts of different winding turnabouts that don't make any good logical natural sense. But I want to tell you exactly what's happening. God is building your artillery. And along the way, you are gathering weapons you didn't have before you started running. You've got to know that God has a purpose and God's doing something. Little lad, I know you don't understand it. Only Jonathan and David understand it. But, but there's, there's, there's important business being done right now. We're preserving the kingdom of Israel while you're running, grabbing arrows. We're preserving the kingdom of Israel. While you're running and grabbing arrows, and it doesn't make any good sense to you why you've got to run all these errands and do all this work. It doesn't make any sense to you. But, but while, while, while you're doing that, the man who's slain his ten thousands is being preserved to fight another day.
and to reign over this nation. While you're going about doing this and doing that, there's, there's, a, there's a work of deliverance happening. There's a work of redemption happening. There's a work of healing happening. There's a work of God that is happening. God is having his way to be done. God is having his will to be done. And if you will obey the Lord, and if you will do what the Lord has called you to do, this last few years, ladies and gentlemen, it feels like we're just running in circles trying to find out where God wants us to go. And God the whole time is saying, yep, turn there. Now turn there. No, go under. Go over. Go over. Hurry. Go. Make speed. Haste. Stay not go get that arrow get that arrow go get that arrow go get that spear go pick it up and I'm going to tell you something every time we go do what the Lord told us to do we come back with another sword we come back with another arrow we come back with another spear we come back with weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds and they're weapons we didn't have before we start Ah, Lord have mercy. If you obey God, he'll have you run and go pick up stuff you never knew even existed. He'll just, he's just shooting it out. It's just flying all over the place. And you go pick up faith over here. And you pick up patience over there. And you pick up some long suffering over here. Hallelujah. And you pick up, you pick up some gentleness. And you pick up intercessory prayer. You didn't even know how to intercede in prayer before. But you do now because you've been running this race. You've been running where the Lord told you to go. So you pick up some intercessory prayer. How many remember when God began to teach you how to pray by showing you where to go and, and, and how to get there and how to run and where to run to? How many remember when you didn't know how to pray? How many remember when prayer was a drudgery? How many remember when prayer was just something that you ought to do but there really didn't seem to be much of a point in doing and now you can't wait to get a hold of God in prayer because God has put a weapon. God has added to the artillery. Hallelujah. Jonathan brought down a whole garrison of the Philistines. Just he and his armor bearer. And he gave his artillery to the little lad. He was just a little boy when the story started. He's like a ninja when it concludes. He's out walking around with all the arrows and swords and hand grenades, everything that he needs to fight the battle. All because he ran. Didn't know anything, but he ran. Didn't know anything, but he was obedient. Didn't know anything, but he ran. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's something about doing what God tells you to do. There's something about going where God tells you to go. There's something about praying when God tells you to pray. There's something about witnessing when God tells you to witness. There's something, my God, about being faithful in spite of the stress, in spite of the turmoil. You will come out of that thing with a lot more weapons than you went in. My God. Glory. I'm going to tell you what the battles, the battles we're fighting today, I need every weapon I can get. 
Hallelujah. I want I want intercessory prayer. I want it. I want it. I need it. I want to have travailing in prayer. I've got to have it in my arsenal. I've got to have that artillery in order to fight the battle that stands before me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You, you and I, we might be little lads, and we don't know everything that's happening in the spirit, but God knows them all. And there's stuff happening we don't even realize. My God, have mercy. I want you to hear me, and I am closing. I want you to hear me. God knows what's going on. And when he shoots his arrows and tells you to run after them, just do it. He knows the matter, and you're going to get to keep the arrow that you pick up for God. And you're going you're to be able to use it against the enemies that come against you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Anybody be able to relate to this? Hallelujah. I need somebody who's in the middle of a confusing time and you feel like you're running in circles and you don't know, you don't know what God is doing. You, you, you can tell he's in the middle of something, but you can't fully figure it out. I want, you to, I want you to just release it to God right now. This word is for you to be at peace and understand that God is equipping you. And it'll all make sense one day soon. It'll all make sense one day soon. My God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Could you stand with me right now in the name of Jesus? All across this house, let's lift up our voices unto the Lord. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I praise you. You are in control. I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. You know, the, 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 real, the real challenge that we have with faith, is, is not so much in God. It's in us. We, we lack faith in us. If you were to say, is God able? Oh, yes, God's able. God is able. And, and, and we might even concede that God is willing. But, but we have so much faith in our ability to mess it all up that we actually have more faith in our ability to mess it up than we do God's ability to keep us. Where is your faith? Is your faith in your ability to mess it up? Or is your faith in God's ability to make it good? I've just decided that I'm going to put more faith in God. I just don't have as much faith in me as I messing things up as I do in God doing it the way it's supposed to be done. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. 
the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Oh, well, there, that disqualifies all of us, doesn't it? Because we're like, oh, who, who is good among us? Who's good among us? There is only one who's good among us, and his name is Jesus. And, and you knowing that and humbling yourself before him qualifies your steps to be ordered of the Lord. That's, that's what qualifies it, is to be able to be humbled before Jesus, surrendered to Jesus, baptized into Jesus, and then, and then your steps can be ordered of the Lord. Now that is a promise. That's not a, that's not a, it could be. The steps of a good man are most likely going to be ordered of the Lord, so your chances are looking pretty good. No, that's not what that says. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. This is a promise. So, so, so if you will put your faith in the word and humble yourself to the word and surrender yourself and you say, God, let me be that good man whose steps are ordered of you, then you can take a step and know that God is in it. God is in it. And I don't know how to explain this because I don't understand the ways of the spirit. But, but God will actually stop you from taking the wrong step. He will. You, you, you will, sometimes you will want to, and then all of a sudden you won't want to. I don't know how to explain it. It will be in your power to take the wrong step, and your flesh will kind of want to, and you'll be wondering, is this God or is this me? And then all of a sudden you'll just be like, no, I want to do this instead, and you'll keep walking down that path. I don't know how to explain that dynamic, but it's real. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He'll also close doors. He'll just shut the whole thing down. He'll just shut the whole thing down. And then he'll open it up when it's, when it's right. And your steps, your steps find a plain path upon which to walk. My God, just do it. Just do it. Just go with it. Just run with it. You're going to come out with weapons. You're going to come out with artillery. Hallelujah. I want somebody in the middle of a battle right now. Lift up your hands unto the Lord. Say, God, I need you. I accept this word. I receive your word for my life. In the name of Jesus. I receive your word for my life. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I receive your word for my life. In the name of Jesus Christ. I receive your word for my life. In Jesus' name. God, you're ordering my steps. I can feel it. I know it. It's happening even now. In the name of Jesus, it's happening even now. Right now, you are ordering my steps. Hallelujah. I put my faith in you. Come on, somebody put more faith in God's ability to lead you than in your ability to fail. Put more faith in God's ability to lead you than in your ability to get it wrong. Come on, do that right now. You put so much faith in your ability to mess it up you got to take your faith out of that right now and put your faith in God and you do that by praying that prayer you say Lord I'm putting my faith in you I'm putting my faith in you I'm taking my faith out of my ability to mess it up and I'm putting it in you in the name of Jesus Woo! hallelujah glory to God Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. And, and I'm going to tell you something. If you feel like you've gotten off the wrong, off on the wrong path and you've made mistakes and you've made missteps and that still haunts you, I rebuke all of that in the name of Jesus. God 
is our GPS. And if you took a wrong turn, he's going to recalculate you. He's going to recalculate you. Don't worry. There's a U-turn up the road. Don't worry. There's a cross street up the road. Don't worry. God's going to lead you and get you on the right path. I rebuke that fear. I rebuke that anxiety. I rebuke that depression and that doubt that comes from the devil. He's trying to heap upon you something because he knows that if you'll be obedient to God, you'll have weapons that will defeat him have weapons that will defeat him. I'm making these altars open right now for somebody that wants to come and pray before we leave tonight. I believe God wants to do something in the name of Jesus. I believe God wants to heal. God wants to set free. God wants to deliver. God wants to equip you. God wants to equip you with artillery for the next battle you face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He's honoring. Yes, He is. Come on, somebody believe it right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody believe it right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You got away. Come on, God's starting something in you tonight. God is starting something in you right now in the name of Jesus. You're going to begin praying more than you've ever prayed. You're going to be more in tune with the Spirit of God than you've ever been before. God's doing something in your spirit right now. Hey! Whoa! Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! He's ordering. My God is ordering. Your steps. Yes, He is. You've got a way. You've got a way. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. What a ring your steps.
Jesus. Woo. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let the Spirit of the Lord just begin to sweep over your soul right now. Let the Spirit of the Lord begin to sweep over your soul right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back now. I'm not turning back now. Oh. 